Thank you so much for checking out the Christian Church of Clarendon Hills podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon. We invite you to stop by www.cccch.org to find out more about our church and to make plans to visit us on a Sunday morning. Well, this Thursday, my daughter Nora turns five years old, so I want to give her a special shout out. Happy birthday, Nora. So excited to celebrate your birthday this week. And I, I think Nora and maybe many pre-K toddler kids have just been full of energy these last few weeks, and they're just ready to get going on their day. It was this past Tuesday, and Nora had one of those days that she woke up early, like 5 a.m. early, and was ready to take on the day with crafts and story time and worksheets and playtime and getting outside to get some fresh air. She was ready to go. Now, we held her off in a room till 6 a.m., and when her younger brother Max woke up, and as I began to get them breakfast ready, they were playing in the other room, Nora came into the kitchen, and she asked me, Daddy, can we uh, watch TV while we eat breakfast? And I said, sweetheart, you know that you can watch TV when Daddy goes to work, a.k.a. pull up my laptop and sit at the kitchen table or on a couch or in her bedroom to our home office like many of you are during this time. It's nice to get a little peace and quiet when you start the day working from home. And so Nora didn't really like that answer. And so she stormed off into the other room and I could hear her a little frustrated with it. As I got their breakfast ready and set it on the table, I walk into the room and I hear Nora singing this song that I've never heard her sing before. The, the lyrics go like this. Day is ruined, day is ruined, day is ruined. And so at 6.30 in the morning, I said, Nora, if you're going to sing that song, you can go sing that song in your room. I went back into the kitchen, I grabbed my well-needed coffee and breakfast and brought it back to the table. And Max was sitting at the table eating his breakfast, but Nora was in her room. About a minute later, Nora sprints out of her room, and she runs right up to me, and she whispers into my ear, I'm sorry. At that point, I give her a big hug and kiss, and I say, it's okay, sweetheart, I love you, and I forgive you. And so Nora sits down at the table with us. We begin to eat our meal together as a family at 6.30 in the morning, and the, the tone was changed. The day was changed. Because Nora knew that her daddy loved her and that her daddy had forgiven her and removed any consequence of wrongdoing that could have been put on her. And throughout the rest of the day, Nora was that sweet little perfect girl that she is most of the time. <laughs> now, I'm sure many of you may be able to relate to that or at least relate to the idea that there have been what I'll call opportunities for forgiveness during these last few weeks. Many of them have come up during these stressful times, and whether they've come up because there's been family conflict, there's been financial hardship, there has been stressful situations at work that have played into the home, or stressful situations at home that have played into your Zoom call, whatever it is, my guess is that there have been many opportunities for forgiveness. In fact, if you're anything like the Isabellis in our home, these opportunities for forgiveness have come up daily. Now, 
even without the stress of this worldwide pandemic, I, I think we would all agree that these opportunities for forgiveness still happen quite often. In fact, asking for forgiveness or showing forgiveness to someone isn't a natural part of who we are as humans. It's not our normal reaction to offer forgiveness to someone or receive forgiveness from someone when we've been hurt by them or they have hurt us. So as we continue in our series this morning, the last words of Jesus, I think we're going to see how choosing to forgive the way Jesus did while he hung on the cross can be life-changing for us, no matter what our life circumstances look like. Last week we began this series looking at the last words Jesus spoke as he carried himself up to the hill where he would be crucified for the sins of the world. And we're looking at the last words of Jesus because we would all agree that as humans, when someone speaks their last words to us before they pass from this world to the next, we cling on to those last words. Because last words are impactful. They're influential. They are life-changing. They alter how we live our lives right now and until we also pass from this world. They have a great influence on us, and we believe that Jesus' last words to us can have that type of influence on us today. We find these last words of Jesus located in a biography that a guy named Luke wrote a couple thousand years ago. If you have your Bibles, we call it the Book of Luke, or Luke's Gospel. So if you have your Bibles at home, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 23. We're going to start in verse 34 in just a moment. As well, the, the verses that we'll be covering this morning will be on your screens throughout the entire time. And as you're turning there, just want to remind you that here at CCCH, we teach from the Bible every week because we believe God has primarily spoken to us through his word. And not only do we believe the Bible, God's word is true, but that it's very applicable to our lives today. So before we jump into these last words, I want to recap a little bit of what we talked about Last week, we started in chapter 23, verses 26 through 31, and the scene is Jesus making his way up the hill to be crucified on the cross. And it's in that moment that many family and friends are around him, and they're weeping and they're mourning for what Jesus will have to endure. And Jesus tells them not to weep. Not to weep for him, but what they should be weeping for is those who will suffer physically on this broken world. For those who will suffer spiritually because of everything around us, as well as those who could suffer spiritually for eternity if they do not turn to Jesus and believe in him as their Savior. And we were called to action last week that our weeping for those who are physically and spiritually hurting should cause us to empathize with them. And then it should cause us to care for them and to compassionately act to help meet physical and spiritual needs in their life. And now at this point, and starting in verse 34, Jesus has made his way up to the top of the hill. He's been put up on the cross. His hands and his feet have been nailed to the cross, and now he is suffering the most excruciating pain known to mankind at that time. We're going to not look at verses 32 and 33 this morning. We're actually going to come back to those on Friday for our Good Friday online experience. That's going to be an online video with our Stations of the Cross experience that we normally do here, as well as a Good Friday message and worship and communion experience. And we're going to focus on those two verses then. That video is going to go 
on Friday at 10 a.m. this upcoming week. And you can watch and experience that anytime throughout this upcoming weekend. So today we're going to jump into verse 34. So here it is. Some last words that Jesus has to say. He says this. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We'll stop right there and camp out on that one line for quite some time. That statement, those powerful final words are so important for us to embrace today. Just look at that first part, the underlying part. Father, forgive them. That, that's a twofold declaration. That's not only for Jesus to ask the Father to forgive the people who are physically around him at that point, to forgive them for putting him unjustly on the cross. But it's a declaration of Jesus to you and to me because our sins put him on the cross as well. You see, there is full forgiveness and freedom because of the cross. And I believe that full forgiveness and freedom is something that anyone and everyone can experience by faith in Jesus right now. I mean, even in your homes as you sit watching this, you can call out to Jesus. You can ask him for forgiveness for your sins because he will. And this isn't because Jesus has to, in this moment, in real time, he has to muster up the strength and the energy and desire and the love to say, okay, I'll forgive you. He can forgive you because he's already declared this to be true. And the punishment that you and I deserve for our sins, which is death, has already been taken care of. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, verses 9, 22, or chapter 9, verse 22, it says this, without the shedding of blood... There is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You and I cannot experience forgiveness for our sins unless someone stood in our place and took the punishment for our sins. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus did that. He was crucified and his blood was shed so that you and I could have forgiveness and freedom in relationship with him. And so even today, as you sit there and you think about the things that you've done in your past, and you think about the shame and the guilt that may be rushing to your mind right now, things that you've never shared with anyone before that you feel so guilty of, God's not surprised by that. In fact, 2,000 years ago, when he declared, Father, forgive them, he knew that those things would happen. He knew you would do those things. And yet he selflessly gave his life and declared that truth so that you could experience forgiveness today. And so you and I can have full confidence in that Jesus' last words of Father, forgive them, can be fully embraced today. And then if you look at the second part of his statement there in verse 34, he says, for they do not know what they are doing. This, this phrase, I believe, shows the selfless spirit of our Savior. It's another twofold statement that he gives. The people there, they don't realize that the Savior that they've been waiting for, this Jewish Messiah, the Savior, the Anointed One, the one who is going to come and redeem the world and, and save Israel, they didn't realize that the Savior that they wanted, they were putting to the cross. But uh, on the other side of the coin, what they also didn't realize is that this is all a part of God's plan. 
that they, as they put him to the cross, were initiating God's plan of salvation for not only the Jews, not only for the Israelites, but for the entire world. See, God the Father is not surprised by this. In fact, God the Son, Jesus Christ, he's not surprised by this. In fact, he knew that his time on this world would end by going to the cross. He knew that the people he came to save would call him a criminal and put him on the cross. What they were doing was playing a part in the sovereign plan of God to redeem the world. In fact, these Jewish people and these Roman soldiers, they, they would have known some Jewish prophecies of old. In fact, one prophet, his name was Isaiah, he wrote about this fact, that this would take place someday. Hundreds of years before Jesus came to this world, the prophet Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. It says this, But he, talking about this future Savior, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. That's our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. Another word for sins. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. They, they had this truth and they missed it on that dark day. That when Jesus was crucified, it would usher in an opportunity to be at peace with the perfect and holy God once again. They missed it. But we don't have to miss that truth today. We can have peace with God. We can have a relationship with God. We can experience full forgiveness and freedom from God by putting our faith in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what leads us to our big idea this morning. If there's one thing you can take away from this text and this message, and if you're taking notes at, at home, I encourage you to write this down. It's our big idea, and it's this. It's that forgiveness leads to freedom. Forgiveness leads to freedom. There is so much power in experiencing forgiveness. And whether it's you're showing forgiveness towards someone or you're receiving forgiveness from someone, yet this power and this freedom can't be fully experienced unless first you receive forgiveness from Jesus. And so if you're watching this morning or watching another time later on from this recording, my, my encouragement to you is this, is that if you've never experienced this forgiveness from Jesus, Ask yourself the question, what's holding you back from experiencing it today? What's holding you back from trusting in Jesus that what he did 2,000 years ago can redeem you, can make you whole, can remove the guilt and the shame and the punishment for your sins? If you've never made that decision, I would encourage you right now where you're at, feel free to, to, to email or contact us at the church. You can shoot us a, a DM, a direct message right now on Facebook or whatever platform you're watching on. Let us know. We'd love to have a conversation with you this week about how you can begin this forever relationship with Jesus and experience that forgiveness and freedom that he wants to give to you today. Now, it, it would be great if the rest of these verses and the rest of the story ended with everyone just embracing that forgiveness from Jesus and praising him in that moment, but not the case. In fact, look with me just at the end of verse 34. Look what happens. It says this, and they, talking about the Roman soldiers, divided up his clothes 
by casting lots. What is happening here is that these Roman soldiers, after they've stripped Jesus of all his clothes, they lay them out in front of him, and they began to gamble. They began to roll dice and see who would get which of his clothes. And what they were doing is they were mocking Jesus. They were saying, your life isn't worthy enough. It's not holy enough. It's not sacred enough that we are going to just gamble your clothes away in front of you. You know, many times when someone passes away, we, we cherish what they were wearing, and we cherish the last things in their room, and we keep it as memorabilia to remind us of the impact that they had on us. What these Roman soldiers were doing, it was a slap in the face to Jesus, saying, you are worthless, you are nothing, we could care less about you, so we're going to gamble what you're wearing on the day you were crucified. And now in verse 35, the Jewish religious leaders get in on this action of mocking Jesus. Look with me here, it says this, The people stood watching, and the rulers, that's the Jewish religious leaders, even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The Jewish religious leaders, they mock him. They taunt him. They say, hey, big shot. Hey, you saved yourself. You did some miracles that we're not sure about. But now you're up there on the cross. If you're truly God's chosen one, you're truly the Savior, the Messiah, how about you save yourself? How about you get yourself down from the cross and show us who you are? The irony is this. Is that Jesus wasn't there to save himself. In fact, he was suffering to save them. To give them an opportunity to be in a saving relationship with God forever. But in verse 36 and through 38, the Roman soldiers did jump back into mocking and taunting Jesus. Look what they, happens next. And so the soldiers also came up and they mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. These soldiers mocked Jesus. If you're really the king, save yourself. And what they do in verse 36 by offering him, offering him wine vinegar is not an act of compassion and kindness. You see, wine vinegar in the Roman culture was the, we'll call it the drink of choice for a Roman soldier who was on the battlefield. If they were getting tired and worn out, exhausted, and they had to keep fighting, instead of drinking water to replenish them, they would drink wine vinegar. It would give them that extra jolt of energy that they needed. And so by offering wine vinegar to Jesus, they wanted his physical body to keep going, to keep enduring this torture and this suffering. They wanted him to experience as much physical pain as possible. And then the significance of nailing that sign right above Jesus' head that said, this is the king of the Jews. It's important to note that in the Roman culture, if any person was getting crucified, they would have their crime listed above them. And so Jesus' crime that he committed, that got him on the cross, it's because he was the king of the Jews. It was, it was them mocking Jesus, saying, well, we serve Caesar. He is our king in Rome. And you're nothing compared to him. If you're truly the king of the Jews, how about you get yourself off the cross and show that you truly are a king? They continued to mock him, and they continued to, in a sense, just slap him in the face. But that crime above him 
was a representation of exactly what a good king should do. A good king selflessly serves and sacrifices to protect his people and do what's best for his people and for the kingdom. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. You know, for everything that Jesus endured before getting nailed to the cross, he chose to forgive them. And then he says, Father, forgive them. And then even after that statement, they continue to mock him and shame him and torture him and make it worse for him. And yet he chose to forgive them. And even when you and I reject Jesus, when we disobey him and his call to love him and love others, Jesus still chooses to forgive us every single day. There is so much power and so much freedom that can be experienced when we receive forgiveness from Jesus, but there's also great power and freedom when we show forgiveness to others. And so this is where I want to end this morning is, what does it look like to truly experience this freedom power that we can have because of not only receiving forgiveness from Jesus, but showing and receiving from forgiveness from each other? You know, one of the most profound quotes I have ever read, it's made a huge impact on me. In fact, every time I open up my laptop, this quote and a picture of it comes up. It says this, it's by Louis B. Smeads, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. I'm going to read that one more time. You can screenshot it or take a picture of it on your screen. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and realize and discover, sorry, that the prisoner was you. When you and I choose to hold a grudge, to hang on to the pain of what someone did to us, to resent someone for what they had done to you, it gnaws at us. It eats us up on the inside consistently. And when we choose to finally forgive them, meaning we are releasing them from any wrongdoing that they've ever done to us, it frees us as well. I think about the, the story I shared at the beginning of this message. When Nora approached me to say that she was, in, that she was sorry for saying that the day was ruined because she couldn't watch TV on the couch while she was eating her breakfast, I, I didn't realize that in that moment, my heart was full of frustration and anger. In fact, I had bought into the same lie that she was saying that the day was ruined. I, my mind went down the road and saying, this is not going to get start to the day. It's going to get worse. She's going to get cranky. I'm going to get irritated. This is not going to be good. Things are going to get worse and worse. Everyone's going to be at each other. This is going to be another day of being at home together. It's not going to go well. My mind was already down there jumping to conclusions. And when I would said those words to her, I forgive you, it melted my hard heart. It released me from the chains and the bondage that I had already built up so quickly at 6.30 in the morning. You know, I don't know if her asking for forgiveness or me showing forgiveness had a greater impact on giving me freedom or a greater impact on giving her freedom that day. I think it's a, a both and, and I know my attitude changed after that forgiveness opportunity and her attitude changed as well there was no more saying that the day is ruined because we had experienced the power and the freedom that comes from forgiveness 
You see, when we forgive, we not only have those chains lifted from us, but we lift the chains off of someone else as well. And I can guarantee you that over this next month, <laughs> we're going to have many opportunities for forgiveness within our home. You will hurt someone with your words or your actions, and you'll need to ask them for forgiveness. Someone will say something or do something that hurts you, and you will need to offer them forgiveness as well. And so my prayer is that as we take on these opportunities for forgiveness, that we would always remind ourselves first that we can't experience true power and true freedom unless we fully embrace the forgiveness that comes from Jesus Christ. And so my question to you this morning as we close is this. What do you need to forgive? Maybe it's the person that's sitting next to you right now as you watch this online service. Maybe you need to shoot a text to someone or have a phone call with someone later today. My encouragement to you is, is pursue those opportunities for forgiveness quickly. And then the days ahead and the weeks ahead, begin to think about this today. How am I going to react in those situations? How am I going to respond in situations where I need to show forgiveness or I need to ask someone for forgiveness? You know, right now our worship team is going to come back on and they're going to lead us in a song as we enter into this time of communion where we have an opportunity to remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so if you haven't already at home, go ahead and grab a piece of bread or something that represents bread or cracker and grab some juice that represents the, the blood that was shed for us on the cross. And while you're doing that, we're, this, the worship team is going to sing a song over us and uh, this psalm is talking about God's mercy to us. And that word mercy, it, it's a word that means withholding something that you deserve. Or not getting what you deserve. Grace is, is receiving something that you don't deserve. Mercy is withholding of something you do deserve. And so all of us deserve to be on the cross. That's what we deserve. All of us deserve that punishment for our sins, yet God withholds that from us and offers us life, offers us freedom, offers us relationship with him forever. And so as the worship team sings this over us, and you can sing along or just listen to these words, let's praise God and thank him for the mercy that he gives us. As it says in the Psalms, his mercies are new every morning. And as we thank and praise God for his mercy, let's begin to ask God to put it on our hearts as to how we can show mercy to those in our life this week. Let me pray for us before we enter into this time together. Jesus, we thank you that you declared 2,000 years ago, Father, forgive them. Even when we don't know what we're doing, even when we fall short, even when we disobey and hurt others and hurt you, you choose to forgive us. And we can have full confidence today, Jesus. And that's why we praise you this morning. That's why we sing about your mercy and your grace and your kindness towards us. You're the only one that deserves it, Jesus. And we thank you. May your last words impact us this week as we will have many opportunities for forgiveness. We thank you. And we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
We hope that you've enjoyed today's sermon. Please check us out at www.cccch.org and plan a visit for next Sunday. We would love to see you.